I'm here today to plead with you about your eternal destiny. You may or may not call this a message. If I were calling it a message, I could call it fig leaves, but I'm calling this when all else fails. And the reality is that ultimately all else fails. Sooner or later, it's just a matter of time. Money always fails. And so do sex and drugs and friends. And even your own mind is subject to Alzheimer's or dementia. And one day your body will fail. Your body, this thing in which you live, this place in which you dwell. So today I shall present to you Jesus Christ, whom I affirm to you as I start this message, is the only one who never fails. Amen. Only one who never fails. When all else fails, Jesus Christ can help you. He can not only help you in mortal situations, I mean like if you have a wreck and you're about to die, you get a gunshot wound or some other thing like a heart attack comes. It's good to have the help of God day to day. But we're talking here specifically about when you die and where your soul goes. Where will you spend eternity? I will tell you that when you draw your last mortal breath, only God can help you. Only he can take care of you when all things, including your body, are gone away and cannot help you. There is no disaster. There is no crisis. There is no condition that is too desperate for God to take care of through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can think of no case that illustrates this better than the third chapter of Genesis. And I would invite you to take your Bible, locate Genesis 2 and 3, put a marker right there please, and we're coming back to this place several times as I move through what I want to say to you as I plead with your soul this very day. Listen to chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I'm reading the first seven verses. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doeth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Keep the place. I want to come back here momentarily. Adam and Eve were in a hopeless situation. Right here, they put themselves in a hopeless situation. They did the very thing that God said not to do. Look in that, six, uh, that second chapter in verses 16 and 17. Thou shalt not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. But verse 6 in chapter 3 says, When the woman saw that the 
tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. She took of the fruit and she ate it. Not only did she ate it, she gave it to Adam who knew better than to do it. And he ate it also. I have to ask, does this remind you of you? God says, don't do it. And we do it anyway. God says, no, there are consequences to this stuff you're doing. But we go ahead and do it thinking, well, I'm young or it won't happen. Or we just don't even think. The cold truth is there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's right out of the Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and that's verse 23. God's divine hammer of judgment was just about to fall on Adam and Eve right here. Already they had lost their innocence. You can hear them and they admit we're naked. They realized they had done wrong. They realized somehow God sees through me. God sees what I've done. He knows where I am. Guilt. We all know what it means, don't we? Do something you ought not to do and you think, I wish I hadn't done that. I don't feel clean. All of my innocence somehow seems to be gone. I know what it's like to have regrets. Why did I do it? Why did I spill that milk? Why did I say those words? Why did I act with that behavior? Why did I do that, which I knew better than to do, but I did it. I did it. And I find myself naked. And like them, they hid themselves. These two hid themselves because they knew they were naked. God hadn't said a word yet. They hadn't even showed up on the scene yet. But they knew they were wrong. They knew Things weren't right in their lives, so they hid themselves. There are lots of people today hiding. Hiding under religion. Hiding in a church. Hiding behind a baptism. Hiding behind a prayer and some good works. Sentencing and consequences. Well, not just yet, as we read these particular words, but soon, in a spiritual sense, they were already dead. Eve, Adam, in the day you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. Literally in the Hebrew language, in dying you shall die. You're going to be dead on the spot and you're going to see, suffer it for a long time. Not talking here just about a physical death. He's talking about your spirit. And what happens to the real person who's living in you, which is going somewhere when you draw the last mortal breath and you don't have this body anymore. The spirit is there. It will be somewhere. So you will die. No wonder Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul is talking about our conditions. He said, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Death came from Adam and Eve, came there at that point, and it continues. So that Paul could say to those Ephesians, and he could say to everybody here today in this room, you are already dead in trespasses and sins. No wonder Adam said, boys, here's where we ate. Your mom and me ate us out of the garden. He ate us out of house and home. That's what really happened this day. They were in this wonderful place that God had provided. And they did the very one thing God said to not do. And they found themselves out of their house and home. Out here in this lost hiding condition. The fact is, Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression Paul explains that in 1 Timothy in the New Testament, chapter 2 and verse 14. What he's basically saying is we're all sinners 
every one of us, not anybody here, not anybody outside of here is not a sinner. For all of us are in the same condemnation. We all know we're sinners. We all know we've got it coming. We all know there's a death penalty. Something deep inside of us reminds us that things are not right and that there's a penalty. There's a payday someday just around the corner from Adam and Eve and what's going on here in this second chapter in the early part of the third chapter is called the curse. This awful curse of God came on. You need to hear it. So I'm in chapter three now. In verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between the seed, thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And to the man he said, unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of the wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou Eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and to dust shalt thou return. You can see it right here, the old serpent. He was cursed, old Satan. He's one of these days going to end up in the lake of fire. That same old devil that was in the Garden of Eden, who's so subtle, saying, hath God said, oh, you know that you're going to be brighter. You're going to be enlightened when you eat of this. Don't listen to God. Listen to me. He's always doing that in hearts. He's always in your mind saying, you don't have to listen to that. I don't know if there really is a God. I'm not sure this Christianity is the thing for me. I don't need to go to church. I don't know about this uh, transgender thing. He's always there, always there. And he's not there with a fire shooting out of his mouth and a forked tongue. He's there looking like an angel of light, making what he says sound good and palatable and inviting so you say, well, yeah, maybe I ought to get on the bandwagon with other people around here. But I'm here to tell you that one day, due to the curse, this guy is going to be thrown into this terrible bottomless pit, which some people deny, but is very real. The book of the Revelation says this about this devil. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That's Revelation chapter 20 and the 10th verse. Cattle, wild beasts, all other animals were cursed. Here's where predation started. I mean, one eating another. Before that, they ate grass, they ate vegetation. But here is where they started eating each other. Here's where all these bad things that we call disease and decay 
came into the picture. Science calls it a second law of thermodynamics. Everything tends to go from complex to less complex or simple. All you have to do is look around you and you see that happening every day. It's an observable. That's the reason it's called a law, scientific law. It's been proven through the centuries. Every time tested, it always performed the same way, no difference in result. And so it's a scientific law that things are going down. You say, well, where did that start? You started right here. In Genesis chapter 3, plant life was cursed. You heard me read it. Thorns, thistles, obnoxious weeds of various sorts. They all started right here. And then God mentions pain and sorrow as a result of disobeying him and saying no to God. Sorrow, pain, suffering, all a direct result of the curse because of sin and because of disobedience to God. I understand today many people, when pain comes along, and especially uh, little babies get sick and have diseases and people getting all these bad, they say, well, where's God? God, if he's around, why didn't he stop this? God didn't start this stuff. It started back here in the Garden of Eden. When people said no, God had put them in a place that was without pain and suffering. And now they come along and do it their way, and so they enter into pain and suffering by their own disobedience to God. Birth defects, poverty, oppression, slavery, started right here, hatred, cheating, lying, injuries, tears, and old age. Many of you in this room know about old age. You know what it does to you. Where did it start? Back here. It started when they said, no, God. We will do it our way. We will make our own decisions. We don't need you ruling over us and telling us what we have to do. The ground was cursed. You see it here. Chemicals of various sorts put here sometimes have reactions. Order to disorder that I've mentioned. All of it is right here. Rust, corrosion. These things started back here and then labor and travail. Work is not a cuss word. It's not a four-letter cuss word. It's a good thing to work. And Adam and Eve had the responsibility before they did, did it their way. They had the responsibility of keeping the garden, the Garden of Eden, tilling it, doing whatever was needed to be done in there. It was work. No doubt it was hard work. But they enjoyed their jobs. It didn't have all this sweat and labor and this stuff with it. But when they did it their way, then all of a sudden, God said, labor and travail are coming your way. The sweat of thy face, by the sweat of thy face shalt thy eat bread. And isn't that the way it is today? Life's hard, so often work is hard, and we labor and we travail, and sometimes we feel like we're, we're not getting anywhere. And with this curse that I just read right out of the word of God, and with this curse came dying, death. Dust thou art, child, you shall return to dust, Adam, till thou return to the ground out of which thou was taken, for dust thou art, and to dust shalt thou return. That's verse 19. That verse bears keeping in mind. While you're healthy and good, and while everything's easy and going your way, and you're making your living, and you're in the summer of your life, keep in mind there will come a day when it won't be that way. 
at the end of your life, there is something called death. It's not just now and then for a few. It's for all people, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So we look at cemeteries. They're everywhere. Sometimes we build highways and dig into a cemetery and have to reroute the cemetery or the highway. Somehow do so. We know about death. It's been going on a long time. Go down to Galveston. Look down under your feet. And no doubt you'll step on a little seashell. Some little animal died. You don't have to be a genius to realize that it's heading your way. Dying's not just for all of them. Dying's for all of us. It's coming. It's headed our way. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Hebrews says that. Chapter 9 and verse 27. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job chapter 14 and verse 1. Every one of us is facing mortal death as a result of this curse. Oh, yes. Adam and Eve were in deep trouble. you got to know it. You read this text, you realize they're in a bad fix right here. And Adam and Eve is you and me. There are forefathers, foremother, grandmother back there. We're all in that same lineage. It's passed from them to their kids, to her kids, to their kids, to you and to we. And we're all here. And they were in big trouble. And everybody is in the same big trouble because sin is so universal. The trouble they were facing is visible to us every day. You're paying in part because of Adam and Eve. You get old because Adam and Eve did what they did. You face aches and pains in your body because of Adam and Eve and what they did. Every misery and every woe <clears throat> that you or I face is directly attributable to them. Yes, they literally ate us out of house and home. And because of them, we're going to die. Every one of us is going to die. <clears throat> but everybody in this room knows that you're not going to just die because of Adam and Eve. You're going to die because of the person that you are. You're a sinner too, just like them. We've all gone our own way and done our own thing. Every one of us is just as guilty as Adam and Eve. All of us like scapegoats. We like to blame somebody else. Well, Adam is responsible for me. We had a little saying going on a few years back. The devil made me do it. It's so nice to blame somebody else. They made me do it. Somebody said that God was talking to Adam and, and Eve and the devil after this event here. And he said, uh, Adam, why did you do it? And Adam just looked around and said, the wife thou gavest to be with me, she did it. It's her fault. And he said to Eve, the wife, why did you do it, Eve? She said, the devil made me do it. And he turned to the devil and said, why did you do it? And the devil didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> a little funny, but it gets the point across. The reality is nobody has a leg to stand on. You, me, or anybody else. We're all just as guilty as Adam was. We like to look back and say, he made it happen. He's the real culprit in this picture. But we're all sinners, and God's wrath is upon all of us, just like it was upon Adam and Eve. The wages of sin is death. I quoted that a moment ago, and I deliberately give it to you again. Chapter 6 of Romans, and verse 23. I'm not just talking about a grave. I'm talking about some mortal cemetery here and some mortal death. I'm talking about eternity in the lake of fire. 
I said to you to start this message, I'm here today to plead with you about your soul, about your eternal destiny. <clears throat> Where will you go when you leave this body and you know you're going to leave here? Just a matter of time. Those who do not have a solution to their sin problem, they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. You say it's hellfire and brimstone. I cannot ignore the Bible. I'm going to quote it to you out of the Bible. This is in the book of First Thessalon or Second Thessalonians, chapter one. I'm quoting verses seven, eight, and nine. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and they that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, right out of the book, right out of the word of God, everybody who doesn't have a solution to his or her sin problem is going to spend eternity separated from God in a place that is terrible beyond words. Here's Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. And whoso was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. People say, well, there is no hell. Call it whatever you want to, but there's a place of eternal damnation for people who say no to God and who have no provision for their sin problem. They're going to spend eternity wishing they had been saved, always separated from God. <clears throat> My friends, one of these days, and I cannot and would not venture to tell you just when it is, it seems to me that the day is getting hastily toward us but one of these days, chaos, misery, trouble, catastrophe, beyond what anybody has ever imagined before, is going to break loose. I'm going to read it to you right out of the Bible. In Second Peter, you can locate the place, chapter 3. I will start with verse 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 3. And here's God's description of a prophetic thing. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come scoffers in the, in the day, last days, walking after their own lust. I know about that. I know there are scoffers. I know there are people who say, there's nothing beyond the grave. I don't believe that. I have some friends who are there, and I just break my heart. I have to listen to God. He's the one who knows where we are and where we've been and where we're going. And God said, there's coming a day when there'll be scoffers who say, don't pay any attention to this religious stuff. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning to the creation. Well, Granny and Paul said that Jesus is coming and they're dead now and they're Mom and their kids are nearly dead, and I'm a grandkid. And I, Jesus hadn't come. Where is the promise of his coming? <clears throat> For all things continue as they were till today, the same. That is a real good description of evolutionary thinking, Darwinian evolution. Uniformitarianism, they call it. Just gradual, gradual change. No big change, just gradual stuff. Some even evolutionists have backed away from that. But here's the Bible saying what will be argued. And then look at this next. Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, 
whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Here's a biblical mention, a reference to divine creation. God's a creationist. He says, I created the heaven and the earth. It didn't just get here by a big bang. I made this place. I put all the beings in the place that are. I put the laws in the situation that they're in. I'm the one who's here. Then another reference in the same verse to the, to the flood, the Noahic flood, where after a while, the population of the earth turned so against God that he destroyed the world with water with a flood that covered not just that local Mesopotamia Valley, but it covered the whole earth. And all you have to do is go to the Grand Canyon, go some places in this country, any place on this planet, and you can see the, the evidence of great catastrophic change, not just a local flood, but of a some water event that shaped mountains and shaped valleys and canyons and made this place what it is. And they'll be willingly ignorant of that. There are people that go to the Grand Canyon and read what the Interior Department puts on there. It took millions of years to create those layers up there. That doesn't compute with the evidence. It doesn't compute either with the Word of God who says God made this place. But there will be people who say no. Maybe some of you in this room or somebody listening to this, this broadcast will say no in your heart. I don't believe all that stuff, preacher. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, that's talking about us. By the same word are kept in store, reserved unto the fire, unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly, ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. God got time. He's not limited by it. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish. I want you to listen to it. Not willing <clears throat> that any should perish, but that all should come repentance. That's talking about you and me. God doesn't want anybody to die without him. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. You say, how do we know? He sent his son to die and take our sins on the cross and pay with his own blood our penalty. That's testimony of the love of God for sinners. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That offers hope for you. You say, I've been in this business a long time, preacher. I've been, I've been living and I never really came to Christ. I've gone to church and I've been one of those pretenders who had a little show going. I went down and did all the formal stuff in front of the church, but I never really in my heart have met him. God wants you to come to repentance. Says it right here. He's pleading just as I am, without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me, just as I am, thy come. But the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief. Listen to this prophecy. It will come as a thief in the night. No one is going to expect it. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That day, he says, is just out there. It, we don't know when he's going to come back. But he's coming, this is what's going to happen. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? In view of where we are and where we stand, in view of the judgment of God, which is going to be poured out on this planet one of these days in the not too distant future, everybody needs to take stock. Everybody needs to say, hey, we need to realize where we are here. Looking for, seeing them that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person taught you to be? Looking for 
and hasting unto the great coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on fire and be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. That's not real love. Easy to take. I understand that. You talk about troubles. You talk about misery. Here's the Bible talking about real trouble, real catastrophe, and misery like the world has never really ever seen before. And every sinner, every person who has no provision to be right with God is going to face the judgment of God without mercy. Dear one, I have to ask everybody in this room today, are you ready? Nobody, nobody is exempted from what I've just been reading. There's nobody says, well, I opt out. I don't know. No, I'm not going to there. Your plan. I have to ask about your plan. When the judgment of God comes, what is your plan? What kind of provision for your sin problem do you have? How do you think you're going to make it? How do you somehow figure you're going to make it into this place and miss eternal damnation? Adam and Eve really didn't have a plan. They didn't have a solution. They tried. They didn't really have one that would work. You say, well, what did they do? Look at verse 7, chapter 3. It's right there in Genesis. They got to the fig leaves. They were figs. I've been trying to grow a fig tree in my yard for several years, and I never was able to succeed. If you can't grow a fig tree, you probably are about, your thumb's not very green. I finally got one started when I moved to this new place. So I was uh, out there. I go out there some mornings to see. And the fig tree's just a little higher than my head. It's all out like this. It's just loaded with fig leaves. Figs hanging there. And these big old green leaves. I couldn't help when I was looking at that tree a day or two ago to think about this. In the Garden of Eden were fig trees. And when they heard God coming and realized we're naked, we gotta, we got to do something about this. God's going to catch us here. He's going to got some judgment. He said we're going to die. What are we going to do about this thing? They went to the fig trees, and they took those leaves. I don't know how they took them and wound them together and sewed them together, but I'd like to have a picture of Adam in his fig leaf suit and, Adam and Eve in her fig leaves. What's the point? We've got to cover ourselves. We've got to do something for ourselves. We're in trouble here. We have a problem with God. Our religion hasn't solved it. Our money hasn't solved it. All of our ingenuity hasn't solved it. All of our praying hasn't solved it. Nothing we can do has solved it. Let's solve it ourselves. Let's put on some works. Let's those fig leaves are typical. They're a picture of the, in the Bible, in the, in the third chapter of the Bible. Here's a picture of human effort, and that has been the, the fallacy, the downfall of people in churches, many of them in churches like this, for centuries. We go to church. My sake, we've been baptized, preacher. We've said a prayer. We've named our sins. We've turned over some new, uh, uh, new leaves and and. We're trying to do better. I, I'm better than my neighbor. <clears throat> I'm better than most of the politicians I know, and that's not saying a whole lot. I'm just better. I'm, I'm going to make it. I got it covered. When God came, and they had all their nice homemade fig leaves on, all of their good works, Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden. I don't know where they went. 
But you can't get away from God. He found them. He knew where they were. They didn't maybe know where they were, but God knew where they were. And he called to them. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? I have to ask, where are you today? When it comes to your, your eternal destiny, and when the end comes, and you have to face God, what is your hope? Is it works? Is it I've been better then? Is it I'm a sincere person? Is it I feel like I'm saved? What is your hope for going to heaven? It's good to look inside. Adam and Eve, they did their fig leaf thing, and it didn't work. And it's a good testimony that none of our fig leaves ever work. Don't have to be out of the little one in the backyard. It can be out of the money you have. It can be out of all those other things I've been talking about. But the reality is fig leaves don't work. They never will. I want to tell you, if you're hoping to go to heaven, if you're hoping your eternity is right with God, everything's going to be okay when the judgment of God comes on this world, you need to realize my fig leaves won't do it. I don't have a solution of my own. I have to tell you, there's never been a man or a woman, including Adam and Eve and all their offspring, who ever had a solution to the problem. Here's a problem that only God could fix. He had to come in and intervene for them. If it hadn't been for God on the scene doing what God did, they would certainly have died and spent eternity separated from God. Your good moral life, it's just another fig leaf. Listen to this, right out of the Bible, Titus 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. Not by water, not our fig leaf. According to his mercy, it's an intervention of, according to his mercy has he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he hath shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. You hear the answer right here. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. None of their good. Nobody's ever been able to do it. The best preachers, the best holiest saints you ever saw couldn't do it on their own. The solution is in the work of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you what Jesus Christ did for you and for Adam and Eve and for everybody else who's a sinner. And that's all of us. He came into this world. Jesus came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, listen, brothers and sisters and friends. It's the work of God through Christ who came into this world willfully and voluntarily and went to that cross, not for his sins because he was the innocent one, but for your sins because we're the guilty ones. He, Jesus Christ, voluntarily took your sin in his own body on the tree, and when he went to the cross, he went there for you where you were on his mind. I'm pleading with you about your soul. I'm asking you, do you have the provision of Jesus Christ? Back here in this third chapter of Genesis, look at verse 21. Just see the goodness of God to them. Verse 21, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Right back here, the first two to ever fall off the turnip truck, you might say. And here they are all naked and thinking we can cover it up and they can't do it. And it's all failing and the wrath of God. Nothing's working. Nothing's working. 
God says, I'll take care of you. You have to trust me, and I will help you. And so he took an animal of some sort. It doesn't say. I think it was probably a sheep. But he took the animal, and you know when you skin a sheep or any animal, you're going to take the blood. Redemption and salvation is in the blood. And God knows that. It takes the blood to satisfy him. And so God took this animal and took its skin and out of that skin of that animal, God made clothes for Adam. He made clothes for Eve. He did for them what they could not do for themselves. They couldn't take care of their problem. Their fig leaves didn't work. But what God did worked. I'm saying to you today in this room, your church membership, your identification with Northwest Baptist Church or any other church will not get you to heaven. It won't work. It's another fig leaf when it comes to your salvation. I'm not in any sense implying that it's bad to go to church or it's bad to be a member of church, bad to be bad. I'm just saying if you think that gets you saved, then you've missed the boat. You have to come to Christ in your heart to be saved, to go to heaven when you die. His solution is the only medicine that works when it comes to sin-sick people he alone has done the work of the death, burial, and resurrection. The innocent sacrifice, God's own son, Jesus dying, taking your sin and mine on his own body and paying with his own blood once and for all for Adam and Eve and for Adam and Eve's kids down to me and to you. But there are those who say, no, I'll do it myself. I'll take care of my problem. I don't need God. I don't even maybe believe there is a God. So I'm going to just take care of my problem. And some who say, well, I'll do it by my church. I'll go to church. I'll get good at it. I'll get regular at it. And I will go down and I'll do the baptismal thing and I will say the prayers thing and I will go through all of the things that are required. And I will go to church sometimes and I will put on the dog and I'll do all the things that you're supposed to do. But they never come to that point. Where in the heart, that's where it is. In the heart, they give up. I've tried the fig leaves, but the fig leaves didn't work. My feelings won't do it. My baptism won't do it. My good performance won't do it. I have to have the work of Christ. There are people who, some reason or other, keep saying, no, no. I got enough. I, let me tell you, you will never go to heaven you will never have a cure to your real problem until in the heart you get to the end of you. I've told some people my testimony. I was a little boy in Lufkin, Texas, out in the country actually. And I grew up in church. I knew about the fig leaves. I knew what you're supposed to do. I did them as good as I could from the time I got big enough. I, I started doing it on my own. I even went down front and I got baptized in a little lake. Yeah. And miserable inside. Knew something was missing. And there came a Thursday afternoon. Mama didn't know. They all thought I'm a Christian. This, this was a year and a half later after I had gone down in front. Going to church and shiny tooth just like a little Christian boy ought to do. But inside, miserable, no peace, no salvation, no real help. That Thursday afternoon, I rode the bus home. 
got out at my country home, said hello to my stay-home mom, and I said, Mom, I'm going out in the woods for a little while. I knew a little spot in the thickest woods where I could get and nobody would be saying, what are you thinking about? Why are you sitting on the ground with your Bible in your hand? So I sat down here, and I read in John chapter 3, that a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he said, good master, we know that there are a man, our prophet come from God, for no man can do these miracles you're doing except God is in it. He saw what was happening. Nicodemus said, I read that, and I heard Jesus say to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's got to be a change on the inside. It's not what you're doing outside. Nicodemus so caught in his religion, so caught in himself and his fig leaves. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know better than that. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you don't have a clue basically what I'm talking about. You're going to have to have a spiritual birth just like you had a natural birth. You're going to have to come in your heart to me. He went on to say that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about going to the cross, what's about to happen. That whosoever looketh on him, should have, or believeth on him, should have everlasting life. And then that verse we all know, for God so loved the world. Me, you, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I sat there, so that's as black and white as it can get. You're either a believer or you're not. The fig leaves are not even mentioned. And in that day, on that day, somewhere three or four o'clock in the afternoon, just myself and the Lord there, I'm thinking to my soul and my heart, I want to go to heaven. I want to be saved. I've been going to church. I've been doing everything I knew to do to try to be my best boy I could be. And I'm lost and I know it. I can't make it. You're going to have to get me to heaven. If I'm going, you're going to have to get me there. And then it dawned on me. That's all he ever asked me to do is trust him to do it. And he had already paid my penalty. He already, not with the blood of a goat or a cow, but of his own blood, he went to that cross and offered himself as my sacrifice. And I had to come in my heart. I did come in my heart to that point where I trusted him that day. Everything else fails except him. I'm telling you, Jesus never fails. If you don't know him, you've never met him, I'm asking you to come today and meet him. You don't have to come here. It'd be good. But I'm asking you to come in your heart. Because it's really not between you and me or you and anybody else except you and God. You have to come to him. And in your heart. I don't mean just come and say, well, okay, I'll try it. I'm talking about giving up on you. And I'm asking where in your life, if we start today, tell me where did it happen? If we went around the room and asked everyone, tell me when you got saved. Tell me when you met Christ. I'm not asking you to tell me how you felt. I'm not asking you to tell me when you joined the church. I'm not asking you to tell me when you were Christian. I'm asking you to tell me when in your heart you gave up on all you were and all your fig leaves. And you trusted Christ.
you haven't had a place somewhere, you ought to make that place today. You ought to trust him in your heart. He's ready to save sinners. He's the only solution there is. Adam and Eve found out real quick, we can't do it ourselves. We have to have a Savior. And that's the message of the Bible. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have an invitation. And I'm going to ask you to come to Christ in your heart. If you come in your heart, you want to come up here publicly, let it be known. I'd love that. I'd like to tell you what you ought to do after you're saved. But first of all, first things first, have you met the Savior? What about your eternal destiny? There's only one way to secure it, and it's coming God's way through Christ who died in your place to take care of the sin problem. Brother, brother Eric, what will we sing today? There's room at the cross. There's room at the cross. Father.